0: Hi, this is Leah
1: and this is Channing
0: and you've reached Vessel Art is a Doorway.
1: Welcome to episode 26 Hey everyone, we're so excited to have you listening to this podcast today this podcast isn't a typical podcast that we have with Vessel Art as a Doorway. It's actually a bonus episode. Maybe you can remember back last year, we had the privilege of having Ben Carter from Tales of a Red Clay Rambler podcast. In that interview, Ben really opened up on how he creates objects that bring people joy. Well, today we were excited because Ben asked us to be on his podcast to help us to get into a discussion on how art can be used on blockchain and other new forms of media.
0: So here it is. Take a listen to the interview Ben did with us on his podcast, Tales of a Red Clay Rambler.
2: So to start, I'm going to uh, start with you, Leah. I was reading an article about your work and, and you were telling a backstory about how you had, you know, you've had art in your life, but what really pushed you towards art was a situation with your father where you were kind of seeing the way he was dealing with a stroke and with the injury associated with that. So can you tell that story and talk about that, how, how that really pushed you into a life of art making?
0: My father had a massive stroke. And what that did was it was on the left side of his brain. So even though he had all of his intelligence, it got, it took away his ability, his words. So he wasn't able to speak. He, he's still not really able to speak to us. And so one of the therapies there, he had a few different therapists, a few different speech therapists. And the one that was the most effective was one that used music. Because music actually, when we listen to music, it kind of activates the creative side of our mind, which generally is like the right side of our brain. And so when we sing songs, especially when we sing um, common songs like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, it activates, even though because it's on the right side of our brain, it activates those words and kind, and can help to rewire the synapses that we lose on the left side of the brain. So after like even just the first few minutes of the one session that he had with this therapist, he was already regaining some of his speech and it had been months since maybe even over a year actually before that he could not Speak. And so when that happened, it made me dive into a rabbit hole of learning more about creativity in our brain and how effective that side of our brain is. And I think it's one something that we tend to take for granted. And it made me really appreciate that side of us. And it wanted me to, uh, it it encouraged me rather, it motivated me and inspired me to help other, not help others with it, but really, yeah, I guess kind of help others with it, do more art and see if I can bring that into my own practice to help stimulate with other people.
2: Yeah. And I had read, I think on your website where you talked about how making and buying art is an act of self-care, you know, that this is all like a larger process of kind of reflecting on yourself through either buying or making art. So can you talk more about that as a maker?
0: Yeah, I feel like whether we realize it or not, we are affected by our aesthetics, like what we see. And the thing is, is that when we have art and when we collect art, it's meaningful to us. And it does, it either connect, it can connect us like to maybe memories. It can connect us to things about ourselves and uh, to moments in time that we have. And when we do that, thinking about like some of the things that I've read, how just having those things in our our house and we look at them and we, even if we briefly think about something it can create it can create the same type of endorphins in us that we get when we exercise. And so those types of things are really beneficial to us. And so sometimes even though we take it for granted, those things are really important to us and we can see that even looking through history and 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 time like even though people needed, you know maybe th- thousands of years ago, even though they needed a pot to cook in so that they could eat. They still went the effort. they put in the effort to make it aesthetically pleasing. And a lot of times when we make those decisions is connected to things that are meaningful to us or maybe a, a message that we want to give to somebody else. So that's that's kind of how I feel that that collecting and looking at art and in addition to making it is an act of self-care.
2: Well, Channing, I want to bring you into the conversation and talk about your. You're you a maker, but you also have a career in the medical profession. So can you describe first what your job is?
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess. It, it, it's. I call myself, well, I'm, I'm a radiology technologist, but um, basically we're special procedures technologists. Um, in the uh, operating room, you know, you have x-ray texts that actually scrub in on procedures with the doctor. And we help uh, monitor the patient's uh, EKG. Um, and also we assist the doctor during the surgery. So, you know, he has a, you know, knife, you know, scalpel, you know, things like that. So um, majority of the time, um, especially like with, with this past year, you know, during the pandemic, you know, you see a lot of um, healthcare workers, you know, we would come in for uh, strokes, um, also, heart attacks and things like that, and we thread the uh, the wires um, into the patient's body, and we manipulate the catheters and uh, use balloons and stents to actually uh, open up passageways in the heart, in the brain, and things like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I've been in a, acute, I've been in this field for almost goodness. Was it like 23, 24 years now? I can't believe it. How time flies. I came in when I was a baby, by the way. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I've just been doing it for years, man. Um, I enjoy it. You know, this past year has been kind of crazy. You know, I, I haven't really been able to give my patients, you know, the bedside manner that I like, you know, what I mean, you know, coming in with moon suits and things like that. But yeah, it's been pretty cool, man. Uh, but really uh, when it came to art, One of the things is is, uh, when I was working at Stanford, I was working with a lot of neurointerventional uh, radiologists, and we would do procedures, uh, let's say, with a patient who was experiencing maybe like an aneurysm or uh, some type of clot in their brain. Um, The doctors, they would uh, get access to a vessel inside of their brain and inject dye so we could actually see how the... um, the vessels in the brain, uh, hop, uh, uh, I, I guess, show up on the, on the um, x-ray camera, you know, and then the doctor, we would invite another doctor to come in and actually that doctor would show the patient um, a series of pictures or images. And based on that, we could see how his brain was actually functioning. So that really kind of got me excited. When I first saw it, I was working at a, uh, at a hospital in, um, in the Bay Area And I could see like specifically how medical, the medical field and also art, how it's affected. You know, we're affected by the things that we see. And that's one of the things that's always excited me about art. How did you get into clay? This one right here, man. You know, I had no desire to ever be a potter or a ceramist, but Leah kept pushing me. And she was like, why don't you just take a class? And for years, I would always help her out. She has a jury line. Um, I would help her out with her jewelry, um, you know, with making it. And, you know, we would have it in, you know, magazines and stuff like Atlanta magazine and uh, things like that. So she would show me some of the basics of how to actually create something. But I really never I never thought I could actually be an artist, <laughs> you know, in my life. But she just kept pushing me. And um, the, right across the street from us um, in downtown Los Angeles is the road. Um, and in there, there's a studio, uh, Still Life Ceramics. And we're really good friends with the owners of that business, uh, Anna and Mel. And Anna, you know, she was always friendly. She would have Leah come in and actually teach classes, um, you know. And, yeah, I just fell down a rabbit hole, man. And before you know it, I, I just start getting at the will. The first thing was the will you know, trying to master that wheel and not let that clay like fly off and hit somebody in the head. Right. (laughs) You know, so yeah, you know, once I got into like wheel throwing, that was cool. And then I was like, oh man, I could build on the, on the wheel, you know, so I could get into the hand building part. And that was fun too. You know, I see some of your, your stuff, Ben, it's awesome, man. I love like the handles and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, just building on that and then doing more sculptural work with something. And Um, Within the past year, it's been kind of crazy because a couple of stores have actually asked to carry some of the work now. So that's pretty exciting. So I guess we're getting into, uh, yeah, uh, getting into more uh, more work where, you know, some of the work is actually moving from off my shelf. So that's pretty cool.
2: (laughs) That's always a good thing. With your medical life, it's procedural, I would imagine. Like there is a right way to do every single process you're doing on the patient. But in clay, like you can choose to do anything. Like you can do things out of order. You can throw first, hand build, then try to throw what you hand build again. Like there's an improvisation to art making that I don't think you're probably allowed to do in the medical field. So can you talk about learning how to improvise or learning how to follow your own intuition when it comes to working in clay? And actually for both of you guys, you can answer that question. Yeah,
1: that's an excellent question. Uh, Some of the same principles when it comes to uh, clay in the medical procedures, I do actually fall hand in hand because if you don't thread the wire in a certain way, in a certain matter of time, the patient dies. You know wow. that's right. You know, so when it comes to actual clay work, um, you have to use a certain amount of precision, I feel, uh, doing clay as well. You know, it's so funny that you said that there's a, a cardiologist that I've been working with recently, and she's actually a potter as well. And I had I had the opportunity. We were, we, we got scrubbed in because we're always talking about art doing the procedures. And I asked her, well, do you feel like you're a better doctor because you're an artist? And she said, yeah, because I have to pay attention to the finer details of the work. And actually, um, there's a method into the work and you have to be uh, precise with maybe your movements, um, you know, in medical procedures. And I feel like in uh, the pottery, because, you, you know, if you just get all handsy danzy, right, you know, the pot <laughs> goes everywhere and then you can lose it. And then you also have a certain amount of time to actually do certain things with the pot, you know, at different temperatures as well. So the same thing with the medical procedures, if you don't get access to that body or that vessel in enough time within 30 minutes, the patient dies or the patient suffers. So I kind of feel like the same aesthetics is is what, you know, the clay process also.
0: I can't, obviously, I can't speak on his <laughs> <as> medical <laughs> at all, but it was funny that you mentioned that too, because there was a brief period of time where, um, actually, it was right before my father had that stroke, and I decided to just go all in with um, my art practice, where I was learning to be a court reporter, which is the exact opposite <laughs> of what you do when you're trying to be creative, because when you're in court and you're taking down a record, You have to be, you have to take down exactly what they say. You have to look at their movements if they're shaking their head up and down for yes and no and all those types of things. So it was the complete opposite of, you know, art and being creative. But I agree with Channing. It's funny because it's like when you move, there's, I guess there's parallels and then, but of course, you know, with anything, uh, I feel like with me, I, I use a lot of different mediums and when I move from one medium to another, Uh, the medium kind of changes, changes a little bit the way I, I do the work. And so that, that's also kind of exciting, but, but yeah, I, that's one nice thing I think about art. There is, you do have freedom of creativity, but there are certain principles that when you apply it, it can make the work better. Or if you are going to rebel, it's almost better if it's intentional, you know, like I, I understand this principle. Now I'm going to rebel against it. And then that makes, that can make stronger work versus, you know, you just don't understand or, or, or just kind of doing whatever.
2: Yeah. Well, I think about it with, with music, you know, like one of my friends is a jazz guitarist and, and he, he knows the structure of music so well, and that's why he can improvise, you know, it's kind of like with us with formalism and, knowing how colors work together, form works together, it's nice to know that stuff. So then you can say, I don't agree with what I was taught, or I don't, you know, even I don't want to do what I did last week when I made that painting. But, you know, I have a question just about human empathy. In being a court reporter and being in the medical field, like, you're called to have a lot of empathy, Uh, especially you mentioned, like, in the bedside manner, like, you're, you're talking to people, in the hospital when they're sick. Like no one comes to you to have a party. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like there is an issue that you're helping them address. So how do you think that that job draws on your resources of empathy? And is that hard to replenish that? Like, do you feel like you get burnt out a lot or easily from helping people?
1: No, man. No, I, I never get burnt out you know, my heart always goes out to my patients. Uh, You know, as long as I I started radiology back in like 97, and I still look at my patients, um, even my heart even goes even more out to them, I think, you know, especially since I've actually been a patient on the gurney, you know, and I had to have surgery before. So after that experience, it, it made me even more empathetic towards my patients. And, Yeah, you know, when I think about the the pots and the ceramics, the bowls, the cups, the vases, things like that, that I make for people, I'm specifically thinking about a certain environment and I'm thinking about a certain aesthetic that I want them to have in their home and a certain feeling that I want them to have. You know, like for instance, uh, there was a coworker, he asked me to make something for his girlfriend. So, you know, when I made that, that pot, and, you know, in glazing the pot, whatever, I was thinking about how she would feel when she opened up the package, you know? So, yeah, you know, my heart, nah, man, you know, when it comes to, you know, patience and stuff like that, I feel like, you know, especially once you get that opportunity to be on the gurney and come on over to the operating table, your 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 empathy really goes out to where to, to people. And you know, I hope you don't mind me saying this, this past year has been crazy for healthcare workers because it's been an environment where we've had to watch people from afar, you know, suffer medically. And that is really difficult because, you know, you know, the actual process of touching someone, you know, not being able to touch someone, um, has really worked on a lot of healthcare workers. I think psychologically, you know, you know, we're, we're seeing nurses. They're like looking at their patients from outside of the room and they're afraid to actually walk into the room because of the virus. So yeah, it's been a tough year (laughs) to say the least.
2: It's it's cool. You brought up touch because I think of that a lot, you know, like when I have Nieces and nephews and, and when they're upset like hugging a child is a very e- Hugging an adult is a very easy way to get someone to calm down But if you're trying to care for someone medically and explain What they need to have done and you can't touch them you can't reassure them You can't like if they're if they're on the other side of glass like that has got to be That ha- I would imagine that made all you guys communicate in a different way
1: Yeah, it did. And, you know, it was tough because even some of my coworkers caught the disease. So, you know, I remember back in February, there was an anesthesiologist I was working with and she was walking down the hallway and she just kept coughing. And it was like, you know, she, she was just coughing like really violently. And we, we didn't know anything about the pandemic at the time, but come to find out she had it. Um, and we were working with each other and yeah, you know, just that whole thing of like, us having to distance ourselves from each other is something, you know. We're we're practicing social distancing inside of the hospital, inside of our break rooms and stuff. It's crazy, man. But uh, yeah, you know, we're 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 happy that things are kind of slowing down. But yeah, it's it's been something, and you know, it's been a trip also when you think about here you're you're trying to take care of a patient who is dying on a ventilator. And you bring that patient after the procedure back to his room, but the family can't come into the hospital because, you know, strict, strict guidelines, too. So that's something also, you know, the fact that they don't have their family physically around them, you know, like you said, to, 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 to produce that touch, you know, is something that has been, you know, crazy, crazy. You know, your heart really goes out to people right about now.
2: Have you guys noticed like in your own personal relationship over the last year, like being in a really stressful work environment, has that, how has that affected you guys in terms of your, your relationship? If that's not too personal of a question, sorry. <laughs> okay, <I'm> sorry.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it, yeah, it's really interesting. And when you were talking about empathy and does that wear, cha- especially chanting out because of working in the hospital, that's one of the reasons why I think I, I encouraged him to take the, the class with party. Cause he, I know he's always been a creative person, even though he's worked at the hospital. And I think one thing that helps, uh, any of us to like be able to, uh, not get burnt out being empathetic is being able to build ourselves back up. And, and so having that outlet, I think really helps helps him that I think that's my personal opinion. <laughs> and I think that this this past year, I think everybody I think it's been tough on everybody as far as like just more pressure. but I um we've really always tried hard to be really open as far as our communication goes and really supportive of what each other are are doing so that we can, um, make sure that we're taking care of each other, and that uh, each of we're we're also taking care of ourselves. Like I try to make sure he's taking care of himself, and he likewise with me. So I think that helps.
1: Yeah, she's a trooper, man.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think sometimes our loved ones can see when we're reaching uh, that stress point earlier than we can. I know my wife does. You know, she can often see. Um, Well, I wanted to switch back and and go and talk about the work a little bit more. Um, Leah, with your paintings, I noticed that there is a level, it's almost like every, we should say you do a lot of portraiture or or, um, images of humans, human beings, and there will be patterns that are painted either on top of the person or behind them. It's almost like you're always working on different layers. And And it reminds me in some ways of Photoshop, but they're not, it's not, it's painted, but it's, it reminds me of that building of layers. So can you talk about how you got onto this style of painting in that way?
0: It's funny, Channon. he will always kind of um, joke, you know, joke with me, especially when I first started painting some years ago is that I would, I would paint and then I keep, I don't know, that's something that I keep. I think it has to do with perfectionism a little bit, which is not not necessarily a good thing, but I would paint over and over and over until it was right. And, um, but at the same time, I think one of the things that, about the the portraits that I make, what's important uh, to me with, generally with a, a lot of the portraits that I've been doing lately is that it's more of a representation of who we are, our, our, it can be a mental state it can be an emotional state or a particular moment for uh, an individual. It's not necessarily about catching the likeness of the person in their face. And so I think it's just because I think as humans, we we have a lot of layers and we are very complicated. And I feel that, that I think that's just somehow kind of ended up my style and my work where I'm pushing a lot of stuff or a lot of... Things on top of each other that maybe, maybe they don't seem like they should work together, and I'm trying to create something new. And I th- I think that's kind of what it represents—just us, our complicated hum- humanity. <laughs>
1: yeah. What would you say that? Uh, because she's also a graphic designer. And, you know, using Photoshop, they use different layers. Would you say that has something to do with the work as well?
0: Um. So, yeah, recently, sometimes in the process, I'll go back and forth between like um, uh, my iPad and, um, you know, uh, so I'll draw something. With paint or with pencil or whatever, and then I'll take a picture of it, and maybe I'll try out. So now I can try out a bunch of different things instead of like spending two months on one painting trying to paint it over and get it right. Um, I'll I'll use my uh, you know equipment um, to 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 try out a few different things, and that also kind of helps me build up on those layers to get things the way I want it to before I can um, go back to the canvas.
2: There's a bit of surrealism in in the work, like there are parts that that kind of work within the rational world we all live in, like gravity. And then there'll be other parts where like there's this one where this woman's hair, it almost looks like they're underwater, you know, like the hair is going up as opposed to laying down. And then when I was looking at that, then I started to look behind and to the side and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it's almost like you're painting the thought the person is having at the time they're having it or something like, I don't know how to describe it, <laughs> but ha- how do you describe it of this idea of like parallel worlds or like the mental world and the physical world?
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it too. It, at first I kind of would describe some of the portraits as people in like a parallel world. And I like the word parallel instead of, um, you know, like a, another planet because I feel like I want it to be something that we can identify with. They're they these people are like us. They're reflective of us, and one of the things I like to do is just make sure that I like I want people, anybody, to be able to see it and feel reflected as far as maybe their emotion emotionally, or I don't know, just feel like they can connect to the the character and not be distracted by maybe some of the constraints that we have you know we put on each other day to day in our society but um and i like also the kind of bringing in certain things that are opposite or are maybe oxymorons so like you said you're on land but maybe the the way the atmosphere is reacting to the the person in the portrait it's like they're in water so Uh, I kind of like to have that, that communicate that it's kind of, uh, like a dream.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point is that it's, it is dreamlike. Like, I feel like a lot of the, the feeling, the paintings have a feeling of being like you've either just woken up and that's what you remember about the person, you know, like that state where you're kind of half asleep, half awake, like it has that feeling, But I wanted to bring into the conversation your guys' podcast, um, because that's one of the ways that I got to know you. Can you talk about, first, how did the podcast start, and then how did you decide what to make a podcast about?
1: Some of that's your fault, man. (laughs) Uh, You know, and I I told you that already. Um, You know, listening to your podcast (laughs) and, you know, the way that you... You know, you designed your questions, you know, uh, everything was really cool. Um, And it's something that has been kind of like hitting in the back of our brain, like, hey, maybe we could start a podcast. And we were talking about it for years, like maybe we could do this. And I never actually thought that it would actually go down and I could interview some of these people. But, yeah, it's happened. And I think by listening to like podcasts like yours, uh, Paul Blaze. Um, you know, we had an opportunity to have both of you guys on the show and, uh, just seeing the openness of it all, man, you know, you can really open up a conversation and you can find out a lot of stuff by just listening to podcasts, you know, sometimes, you know, seeing how people get into a specific, uh, a group of work, you know, you can learn a lot.
0: Yeah. And I honestly, I I have a part B to that. I think really it was Channing (laughs) who wanted to do the podcast (laughs) and he was like, do, you know, he kind of really helped. um, He motivated me to kind of like work along with him to do that. And I think one of the things is, is uh, because of his medical background and because of my background and the experience I had with my father. And that's been like a a thing that's kind of like thing that kind of gnaws on me is sometimes just in general, we take for granted our ability to create or we take for granted um, some of the the people that do a lot of the, the work that um, we enjoy that make our life better. So I really wanted to um, as we were talking, we wanted to talk about art and your know, brain and and how how it benefits us and talk to many of the people who are behind, even like yourself, um, the thought process like, I think a lot of, I think people really enjoy hearing the behind the scenes on what it takes or kind of like the thought process of what it takes for people to create one. And then two, uh, even when we talk to, we talk to a lot of people who collect art too, who have no interest in um, being artists themselves, but they like to surround themselves with Pieces and it's so important to them that they spend a lot of money and they even make sacrifices. We have uh, one one guy um, who's a a collector in Frankfurt, Germany, and he talks about how he doesn't have to have a car and how he he makes certain sacrifices so that he takes takes that money that he saved to buy the works that he wants. He owns like over nine hundred works of art, and so the thing is, is that. You know it's important to these people. and um, talking to them, I think, because they understand how it affects them in their lives, sometimes it's hard for us to put into words why we like something. And even people who think that they don't like art but then love Star Wars or love, you know lots of different things. And maybe they're not thinking of that as art, but those those people, those creators behind those things that they love, still go through those similar thought processes. And when they see something that Star Wars that may not be in a gallery or whatever, they're still having the same sort of feelings. And so just kind of highlighting those things was really interesting to me and not conversate. I haven't had those types of conversations like we've been able to have once we started our podcast.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I think in the art world, sometimes, you know, we use that term art world. Right. But there's a lot of fluff in you know, a lot of talk about, you know, things that really don't matter, (laughs) you know, sometimes, you know, or or sometimes it's just like, oh, yeah, I I don't have a creative bone in my body. You know, you hear people say stuff like that, but you don't have to have a creative bone to draw or sketch or create something with your hands. You know, I, I, I think we both feel like if you can appreciate a piece of artwork and if it has an effect on you and you acquire that artwork well that, that's a whole thing in itself you know so yeah you know in in the podcast you know we've been able to uh like like leah said with tyrone um interview like a number of different um collectors and we just get into the whole mindset of well what is it like for you to have these images in your home and how does it make you feel to wake up and see these vessels or these uh paintings in your home you know
2: and I think the things that make you guys as individuals interesting, you have managed to put those into the podcast. So I like that you talk about creativity, you talk about science, you talk about technology, and also just like what is it like to be a human? You know, like why do you think something's beautiful? Like like those types of questions, that is an interesting sort of stew of topics that you guys have really brought into the show. The the show is Vessel Art as a Doorway. So can you talk about how that name Provides a foundation for the show as well as being the name of the show.
1: That's cool, man. And thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you <laughs>
2: um,
1: yeah, you know, when it comes to a vessel and uh, the hospital procedures that I do with the doctors, we have to get access to a particular vessel. Maybe it's an artery or vein. And normally that's right in the leg, in the groin area. And basically, when you get access to that vessel, you use a series of wires or catheters and you can go anywhere in the body. I mean, from the head all the way down to the foot, because there's like a passageway or vessels all throughout the body. And yeah, so it was a, a kind of like a play on that. But also since we're both ceramists, we create ceramic vessels. And sometimes, you know, you can have a vessel that can lead to a conversation like this, you know, our our audio, these microphones, this technology that we're using is a vessel in itself. So vessel art is a doorway. Yeah. That was kind of like how we kind of ran our our heads with this uh, podcast.
0: And then also the fact that the, the idea about it being a doorway is to hopefully like open up new ways of thinking or new ways of looking at things in your life that maybe we haven't noticed before. Like we, we had like one musician on uh bender and he started describing like what, what he, he does music for um, movies like soundtracks and things like that. He, I think, is he a composer and a mixer yeah, engineer. and uh, yet yeah, audio engineer. And so it was really interesting hearing even from his viewpoint, like a lot of times when we're watching a movie and, you know, our feelings are getting involved in the story like that just hearing his part of it like we appreciate good music but um sometimes we take it for granted but then when it's not there we really we really notice it so it was just interesting even hearing from his standpoint like how what he does enhances like a story and why it it does that and what he thinks about when he he's mixing those those tracks together so that's just like one example we can go on and on but um, it just to, to kind of open up just an, an, a door into, to an understanding or seeing things different or noticing and appreciating little things in our life that maybe we've taken for granted.
1: And and I, I really appreciate that. With Leah. What, what Leah is saying is, you know, it's not just a particular style of art, you know, w- when it comes to, you know, things that we like to talk about on the podcast, not just like paintings or potters, ceramists. You know, you you may hear a song, like you know, I was talking to Bender about it. It was like, you know, you would hear a song from like Earth Wind and Fire or Smokey Robinson, and instantly, like you'd be in the back seat, six years old in your mom's car, and your mom singing along. You know, so it's a certain vibe, you know, when it comes to art, what it can actually stimulate in the brain, and you know, we think that's something that a lot of people take for granted. They ju- they talk about it like it's some, you know. Uh, unrealistic thing but art has an has a tremendous impact on us on a daily basis
0: and my secret honestly my secret goal for the podcast is I mean I, I we're trying to you know I'm trying to learn myself and always do better but I'm really hoping that other people continue to listen to this and can like harness that power and even make I don't know do more with it I feel like it's something that that i think once people really it's kind of like if you learn you know you have a knife and you learn how to to cut properly then it becomes more powerful tool than when you don't know what you're doing with it and i think that by saying first of all this is this is why you you love this for instance we were just talking about the movie this is why you love this movie this is one of the people and this is what they're doing behind the scenes now that you understand that can you go out and even harness that power in, I don't know, like we talked about memory. Can we harness it? And I don't know, somehow with teaching kids and so that they can remember better. Can we, I don't know. I have no idea, but I feel like <laughs> that's my secret hope that it somebody harnesses it and really, really like me included, all of us harness it and make it, I don't know, make more powerful work, do more good and, for each other.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I also think that you're counteracting that idea that you mentioned earlier, when people say I'm not creative, like someone taught them they were not creative. And when you listen to your guys podcast, and you hear people being creative in music, creative in medicine, like how art can affect medical outcomes, you know, like you guys cover a lot of different topics. And I, I hope also that people listen to your show, in other podcasts in general and just think like, no, creativity is an inherent human thing. Like it's almost like our human birthright to be creative. So I think all that stuff is really important. And when you hear other people talk about it, it validates, you know, it's like given that sense of like, yeah, I can relate to what that person's saying. Even if they're a collector in Germany, they they might not have anything else in common. When you start talking about creativity, you can make a connection there.
0: That's true. And it's funny that you mentioned that, too, because what I found is like even certain people who are collectors, like and as you said, they don't feel necessarily that they are creative. Some some collectors, when they actually uh, start buying art and when ceramics, whatever, and they put things in their house, they feel when they talk about it, they begin to talk about it like they, they don't necessarily like they talk about the artist. But at that point. This collection becomes like an extension of them and makes them think of different things. So, and then you have some people that collect art and they're building. They're building a story. Sometimes the story is about themselves. Sometimes it's about the family. Sometimes they feel like they are um, entrusted with these these relics of you know time of right now, so that they can take care of it for generations in the future. So, is I I agree with you. It's like um, the idea of creativity is not just, you know, with paint, with ceramics or, you know, with those things. Sometimes it can be in practice and
2: including collecting. Yeah. I live in a neighborhood where I see a lot of people out gardening, you know, like people are just out mowing their grass, planting their flowers. And I, I was, when I was walking my dog, I was thinking like, I wonder if those people realize how specific they're making their yard. You know, cause you can kind of see from one yard to the next, like, oh, this is, they have really different ideas about color with plants, but I don't know if they always think like I'm a gardener, that's an artist, you know? So I, I think it's interesting how creativity or food, like we, we often go to restaurants that have aesthetics that we like, whether that is the food aesthetic, like on the plate, or that might be the environment. So we we're making aesthetic choices all the time, regardless of, of how we feel about that. I wanted to change topics a little bit and talk about the digital world and the stuff you guys have done with both digital currencies, but also NFTs. So can you talk about how you guys got interested in sort of the digital currency world first and then how that transferred into art?
1: Yeah, you know, when it comes to digital currencies, I I, I really appreciate how you use that. You didn't say cryptocurrency. You said a digital asset because that's exactly what they are. The the whole concept when it comes to cryptography is not what cryptocurrency is really about. You know, we think about back in 2008 Silk Roads, things were, you know, used maliciously for um, um, uh, pornography and sex trafficking and things like that, the same way that the Internet was used. But later on, what we started figuring out is the government turned their eyes to the internet and was like, hey, we're about to regulate this stuff. (laughs) And the same thing started to actually happen with digital assets or digital currency, Um, because when Bitcoin was first created, the government was like, what is this stuff? Right now they can actually track where the currency is being used. So I, I think when I when I came across the whole Bitcoin concept my brother, he he caught me up one day and he was like, hey, man, you got to check out this Bitcoin thing. And I was like, oh, that's not going to be anything. Right. And then <laughs> it blows up today. We're looking at what? Fifty, sixty thousand dollars per Bitcoin. But uh, later on, there, there were a couple of people in the medical field. I, I found out that, that they were buying it and investing in it. Um, But nobody, it was always like a secret sauce to it. Nobody would want to tell you how to sign up with accounts and things like that. Until a buddy of mine that I was working with back in uh, 2018, 2019, he told me about um, a, a, a technology that was a digital asset that would actually help the world. Now, when I heard that, I was like, yo, I was like, hey, man, put me on, like, where do I buy this stuff? And he was like, look, you can buy it for 10 cents a piece. And I was like, okay. And I bought it at 10 cent. I bought a ton of it. And obviously the asset goes up in price. Um, you know, and that's nice because when you buy a bulk of assets like that and they go up in price, you're like, oh, okay, this is good. But then later on, uh, 2019 2020 we're starting to hear about this stuff called nfts or non-fungible tokens which basically um when you get into this a lot of people they 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 just know bitcoin and ethereum but they don't know that there's a ton of other digital assets that can be used or wrapped into artwork that don't require proof of work which is basically a um it's it's a burning of fuel you know that's really damaging to the environment but there's other digital assets that don't use uh harmful um harmful things to the environment so uh, i hope i'm not really speaking too too, too <laughs> long on that but 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 yeah
2: all digital things are created with computers that take resources that are creating some bad things so before we get any farther into it can you explain like how one Digital asset might be better for the environment than another digital asset?
0: There's a lot of kind of misinformation going around about it. A lot of what they're talking about has to do really with the amount of electricity that it uses because of all these machines using electricity and specifically how that where they get the electricity is. From really. So majority of us don't really know like where we get, we know we have a, we pay our electric bill, but we don't know if our electric company uses coal or if they use solar or what they use. And some of the places are in other countries and maybe some of those countries, they don't have the same type of regulations for pollution as we do here. And, you know, there's a lot of different things going on with that. Um, But if anybody wants to find out good information. I think it's Cambridge. Uh, I'm not going to say it right. Yeah. The Cambridge Institute, there's a Cambridge Institute of, um, and they've done a research on the more accurate numbers on the energy that Bitcoin uses versus other things. But long story short, they're that tech, this technology was the first one. It's like the Model T Ford, you know, but now you have Tesla, which is, you know, solar. And so I feel like the technology is moving really fast. So even though that um, Bitcoin started the way it did, things are, there's already technologies that have fixed a lot of the um, problems. But, you know, we're humans. We're always going to have to improve on what we're doing when it comes to technology.
1: Bitcoin was created back. it was created almost 12 years 12 to 13 years ago, back in 2008. But since then, the creators um, who, or I shouldn't say the creators, but the people who actually engineered on the Bitcoin platform, they looked at it and they studied it and they came out with more more digital assets that are not harmful for the environment, like XRP, XLM, um, Helium, um other coins like that even tezos algorand and things like that so those things aren't based on like the same structure that bitcoin and ethereum is based on vitalik buterin created ethereum by watching the ripple company engineer their xrp digital currency so so he actually took some of the ideas that they They had, and he created a thing that could actually produce smart contracts, which we see like with NFTs and things like that.
2: Most artists are going to know about NFTs because there was recent articles about NFTs being sold at auction. It can't be for the first time, but it's one of the first times that you hear about digital artists making millions of dollars off of their nfts and for people that might not have been able to to follow the conversation i do want to say an nft is a is a digital image or we say digital asset but it could be an image it could be somehow moving components like the the art that you're making uh leah that are nfts you know so it's it's an image but it's it is richer than an image i don't (laughs) how would you guys explain why a nft is Cooler visually, or could be cooler visually than just a digital picture.
0: Well, to me, it's interesting. It's kind of like our conversation earlier. Every time you move from I move from one material to another, then you realize, like for instance, if I'm making a sculpture in real life with clay, and I I have to take gravity into consideration. So now, if I want to take that and I want to put it in um, a digital ram, I don't I don't have those constraints anymore. And so it's it's really interesting. That's how it can be richer than physical work sometimes, because you have more. You don't. You're not bound by the same rules. I think right now with this medium, things are just just starting, and people are just starting to explore like how to use it. Some people are even. Um, there's even ways. Um, and I just got on with a company called Async Art, where you can. You can reveal certain things. So let's say someone buys an NFT. I can create it to where it reacts to a period of time. So maybe in twenty years, maybe a new picture pops up, or or may or what if you know I made it react to the weather? Maybe the color can change or something like. That. So there's like so many capabilities it, with it right now, and I think everyone's just trying to like explore so that they can kind of push push the boundaries with it.
1: Yeah. And then there's companies like Portion.io, uh, um, which Leah, she's a um, an artist with. And they actually, um, when you met an asset, they give the artist 500 PRT tokens. And also Calumet is, is a new uh, platform that I've been on, where basically I, I had an opportunity to talk to the manager and CEO and any artist that actually uh, met their artwork on their platform, they actually receive um, a portion of the digital uh, currency that that's basically functioning on their on their platform. So it's a way that you know more artists, they can actually no longer be, you know, starving artists. You know, they <laughs> you, you know now these artists can actually create something digitally and actually be paid for it. And once they sell their particular uh, NFT, there's a royalty on there from anywhere from 10 to 25%. So if the owners of the NFT, once they acquire that work, if they sell it, well, then the artists, they make future royalties off of, off of the NFT. So it's a real beautiful, um, thing. I, you know, unfortunately, I, I kind of feel like there's not enough ceramics like yourself. On this platform, I think a lot of people are just hearing fud, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Right, and they're just listening to to things, but they're not actually doing the homework and finding out that there are digital assets that aren't harmful for the environment, like XRP, XLM. You know, I can name a lot of them, but those are some of my favorites. XRP to the moon, but <laughs> and that's not financial advice. But <laughs> but
2: <laughs> it's good to say that. <laughs> But for people that are you know, still confused, because I think some, sometimes this is so new that people are thinking like, oh, no, NFTs are scary. I don't want to do anything with that. I want people to go to, to Leah's website because they can see the relationship between her physical paintings and the digital assets that she has. Seeing your work helped me understand why an artist would go into that realm in a way that I had not understood before. To wrap up, can you guys both plug your website and then also the podcast how people can listen to it
0: so our website is clss.studio that's class without an a.studio
2: yeah and
1: you can find us on instagram um my my uh, tag is just
2: glaze channing and leah is uh, leah smithson art well it's good to see you guys thanks uh, for doing this today that's
0: awesome thanks for having us